Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to In All Honesty, the podcast where you get the honest answers you didn't know you needed. And I'm Michelle Elman. I'm a five board accredited life coach and I use my experience from this to answer all the questions that have been on your mind lately. This week we are talking about body positivity and I know so many of you will be excited because this is where I started as an influencer. This is me going back to my roots, although I often say that in reference to life coaching because my roots are actually life coaching, like life coach came before influencer. Um, But as a result of me um, starting my career within the body positive community, I obviously have had a number of body positive questions and I am so proud of the time I spent in the body positive community but there was a feeling after five years of I've said everything I've needed to say and also I must say I got frustrated at the fact that like when talking about size diversity there seemed to be no awareness about racial diversity plus also the fact that um the body positive community has a lot of flaws in it and essentially the thing I've always cared about is helping people live their most fulfilled lives and that was the passion behind body positivity but it was also the passion behind life coaching and what I found over a period of time was yes body confidence is something I really care about, body positivity is something I really care about but it's literally a tenth of my interests. I have so many other tools in my tool belt and it's why it led to my Monday Q&A and this podcast and my second book where I wanted to show you all the other things I do within life coaching. So I'm always proud of the body positive period of my life. I am obviously still a body positive person. I occasionally still post about it when it strikes my fancy but uh, it is not my main content anymore. So I thought I'd do you all a solid and at least do one episode on it. Also, if you guys send me three voice notes on anything, I will just make that episode. So it's totally up to you guys. But before we fully get into the topic, I've been getting some feedback from a few of you asking if I can cut down or edit the voice notes better. And I just want to explain why I don't. First of all, it's really vulnerable for the people who send in their voice notes and I want it in its full essence. And when I cut out a sentence, it almost feels like I'm saying your voice note wasn't good enough. And that's why I try to keep it 
as close to the original as possible. The only time I really edit it if it's really going over like a three minute, four minute mark. But other than that, I really want to keep the essence of the voice note because when you remove a sentence, you do actually change the meaning and not just as a listener, but also as a life coach. It absolutely does affect how you interpret the question. And because this is a life coaching podcast, I want you to have that full context too. For example, how someone pauses in a sentence is actually important when you're being a life coach. You actually notice that, how they emphasise which words in a sentence. Because when they pause, it shows you what was important to them in that sentence. The specific wording is also important. And also noticing what they repeat in the sentence or in the voice note. For example, when someone uses the word attacked, that tells you something completely different than if someone used the word abandoned. And one of the things I really want to convey through this podcast, even if I'm not directly saying it in every episode, is to show you the importance of language. So this is just a quick note to say that the inclusion of the full voice note is very much intentional and I'm not going to be changing that. You can skip ahead if that is your preferred listening style. And I do already make small edits, but I try to keep it as true to form as possible because I love that your voice notes are human. I love that some of them don't have the best audio quality. It's two minutes of your life. You can put up with a bad audio quality. I'm not going to ask people to re-record a very vulnerable voice note in order to improve the audio quality and I like the fact it's not polished and if you're looking for a polished podcast this is not your kind of podcast and that's okay but just a little explanation for those wondering that's my explanation actually there is one thing I try to edit out when possible and that's your apologies you all need to stop apologizing so much as women which most of my listeners are women you need to stop apologizing so much Too many of you are apologising for talking too slowly, talking too quickly, sounding nervous. Some of you are apologising for English not being your second language. And the reason why I edit that out is because you do actually need to all stop apologising and I don't want to be putting that apology out there because I want your voice note to exist unapologetically. And if English is your second language, embrace how you speak. It's beautiful. If you talk quickly, embrace it. If you talk slowly, embrace it. I understand in my last podcast, I was saying why I'm now talking slowly or in the first podcast this season, I started talking about it. But that's more for how you can interpret the podcast and how you can absorb the podcast and how much it resonates. But embrace how you speak. If you speak with an accent, Embrace it, it's beautiful, it's unique. And if English is your second language, that's one more language than I know. So congratulations on being bilingual or multilingual. That is really important and it should be celebrated, not apologised for. On to body positivity though. So as most of you know, my username Scar Not Scared originally started as a campaign. And in fact, Scar Not Scared was not even my username at the time. And it was something I created in 2015 because I got frustrated that there was no conversation or representation for anyone with surgery scars. And for all the body positive conversations saying all bodies are good bodies, I still didn't see my body. And so since I was confident, I decided, why not me? I literally asked myself the question, why not me? I can be the person to open up this conversation. I think my passion for body positivity ultimately always comes down to the fact that because of my medical experiences 
and surgeries, I've always felt like I'm living on a time clock and that time is running out. And it makes me so sad that I wasted so many years of my life not living my life to the full potential. And largely that was because of what I looked like, whether that was being fat or having scars. And more so, I am sad by the fact that it took me so long and such a painful experience to finally start living my life. And that's why I started talking about it, so that you can learn from my experience and not have to go through a really traumatic experience in order to actually start appreciating your body. When I launched this campaign, I had already found body confidence. I was around 21, I want to say, maybe 22. And To me, the end goal of body confidence is not looking in the mirror and exclaiming, wow, I'm so beautiful every day. That's not my day-to-day lived experience. My day-to-day lived experience of believing I am at the end goal of body confidence is the fact that I'm able to go to a meeting without worrying whether I have makeup on. I get to go through my day and not spend the majority of my day thinking about what I look like. And if I go to a meeting without makeup or if I do a talk online without makeup, I don't worry about how I look because I know that my appearance doesn't affect my performance. I don't think about my body on a daily basis anymore. I have all of that time and energy back and you know how much you can do with your life with that time and energy that goes wasted on diets and weight loss and your appearance and changing the way you look and makeup and all of that stuff and Yes, people love makeup or people can use makeup creatively, but that's not the reason a lot of people use it. They don't use it because they want it, they use it because they need it. And that's a very, very different feeling. When I say I'm at the end goal of body confidence, what I mean is I don't have any bad body image days, ever. And when I say that, it's really controversial and I've got a lot of pushback on it because people tell me it's not realistic or it's it's not a realistic goal, but also that that can't be true. Well, it is true and it's my lived experience and I'm not going to lie about it to make other people feel better about it, especially not creating an insecurity that doesn't exist. And the reason why I think I don't have bad body image days is because I largely do not think about my body. And yes, I do have bad body image thoughts, but for a thought to turn into your entire day, you are doing something in the middle and whatever that something is, I'm not doing it anymore. I let the thought exist, I don't fight it, and then I think the next thought, which I don't know about you, but like my next thought comes in in a split seconds. So when I think a thought, I almost dismiss it as being an old part of myself. Or when I think a thought around that, I see it as it's just a part of my unlearning. It's part of like what society has taught me. But again, I don't think about it that long. I just let it exist. And what you find is if you don't fight your thoughts or you don't attach to your thoughts in any way, they disappear really bloody quickly. So it's just one useless thought in my day. And we have so many useless thoughts. It's as if the thought in your head turned up saying you have a dog and you don't have a dog. You would just go on to the next thought being like, that's strange, I don't have a dog. I have the same thoughts when my brain tells me I'm ugly. I'm literally like, well, I'm not ugly. That's a strange thought. Like moving on to the next one. But again, even just saying that out loud is a longer period of time than the thought actually existing. So when I say I don't have any bad body image days, I do have bad body image thoughts. I just have not had a bad body image day in years. 
And when I'm told it's not achievable for most people, I just simply say that's not true. Because if it's achievable for me, it's achievable for other people. And why set the bar lower than what is possible? And it's possible because I live it every single day. In fact, the only time I have had a bad body image that in fact, the only time I have had a bad body image day in maybe six years is one day in 2018 where I was put into a triangle bikini on a photo shoot. But it was more the fact that I was put into a triangle bikini. If you've ever seen me wear a bikini, I do not wear triangle bikinis. I wear bikinis that actually support me and have underwire. And this triangle bikini was so revealing to me. And I don't wear very revealing bikinis. I pretty much wear as full a cup as possible. And it made me uncomfortable. Also, I had this greater fear about releasing my first book. But once I'd worked through that fear, the issue with the bikini was sorted. Yes, I still wasn't comfortable with it. And if that happened today, I would have asked to change bikinis. But not because I wasn't confident in my parents, but simply because I'm allowed to want to be more modest without that being an indication to my confidence. But this exact moment and the reason why I don't term it as a bad body image day is because it proves one of my greatest beliefs that we use our body as an excuse to not confront the other fears in our life. Our body becomes the ultimate excuse because it's permanently with us. So for example, if you're scared of going to a job interview, instead of actually saying that, you don't go at all because you think you're so ugly. If you think that's a weird topic for me to suggest, it's not a weird topic, it's an actual statistic. People don't turn up to their job interviews if they don't feel good about the way they look. 17% of the time because they're worrying about what they look like. So instead of actually facing the fear of the job interview, you've got an automatic excuse. And if you follow me on Instagram, you know my whole messaging is about feel the fear and do it anyway, which is also happens to be a title of a great book in case you wanted to check that out. But before getting fully into the episode, some of these questions will touch on the difference between body confidence and body positivity. And I would just like to clarify that body positivity is a political movement addressing the marginalization of certain body types. It is addressing the oppression and the discrimination. It is not about being positive about your body. Body confidence, however, is about you and your individual relationship with your body. So throughout this podcast, I'm not going to police or correct the terms that people are using within the voice note, but just from an education element, it's important to make that distinction. And obviously in my reply, I will obviously be using the correct terms. So let's get into the first question. Dear Michelle, I have developed chronic pain that now severely limits what I can do day to day. I feel like my future is all up in the air and that I have no control over my life anymore. It's all up to the healthcare and unemployment system. They don't always believe me and it's dehumanizing and soul crushing. What can I do to cope with this situation and move forward from here? With love and pain, Sophie. Hi Sophie, thank you so much for your question. I totally know the frustration of people not believing you and having to advocate for your body so much more than is necessary. For me, it was the feeling of not being heard and not treating my symptoms as if they were legitimate. But for me, I actually realized this lesson was so needed in my life because it got me to a point where I refused to question what I was experiencing. To the point where even now, two decades on, 
I am so much better at advocating for my body and myself than my peers who have had no health issues. And this is genuinely what helps me in these situations. Don't let their doubts filter into your own beliefs about you and your body. Your pain is real. That is a fact. I want you to spend time validating your own pain and believing your own pain and that it's real to such an extent that I want it to be as ridiculous as someone saying you had blue hair when your hair is brown. If you had brown hair and someone said, no, your hair is blue, how would you respond? No, you're mad. What are you talking about? You need to believe in the realness of your experience that you have the exact same reaction. And instead, every time someone says what you are experiencing is not valid, I want you to actively tell yourself that you are standing up for yourself and your body and almost act as if your body is a separate entity that deserves defending. Let it make you angry instead. Let that anger of proving them wrong provide you the energy to fight this battle. And within that, it means you will stop letting the doubt squeeze in. When I personally got to this point, I would just go from one doctor to another thinking, frankly, that they were stupid until I found a doctor who actually listened to me and listened to what was wrong. Now, obviously, this might not be the case with your situation and your chronic pain, but the questioning of your experience will be soul crushing if you don't trust your own sensations. You are the expert in your own body and no one knows anything without your information first, without it going through your own filters. Without that information, your doctor is useless. Any doctor is useless. So therefore you are the expert in the room. So don't let professionals gaslight you into thinking that what you're going through is not real or valid. You are going through what you are going through. That is an undeniable fact. Yes, absolutely. Everything is up in the air. And to be honest, so is life. And that's the case with everyone. It might seem like this is a situation creating more uncertainty in your life, but realistically, life is uncertain. Whether this is going on or not, someone who doesn't have any health problems today could get them tomorrow, and that is the uncertainty of life. And they would be in the exact same position as you. So the challenge is not to create more certainty, but instead know that you can handle whatever is thrown in your direction. If you truly believe you can handle it, no matter what happens, then it doesn't matter what happens next. And the way to do this is to start building a list of every time you thought you couldn't handle something and you did. I want you to start proving to yourself how strong you are and remembering and focusing on that. A lot of this is going to be out of your control, but in order for you to feel in control when you aren't in control is to focus on what you can control and forget the rest. So another practical thing you can do is every night name three things that you thought you weren't going to survive and you did. Every night name three things that are within your control. It will help you feel more in control even if you aren't. However you manage this, it is a shit situation to be in. And whatever feelings arise out of having to survive this, those feelings are real and they're justified. So let yourself have your feelings If you're scared, let yourself be scared. If you're sad, let yourself be sad. And I hope those few things that I spoke about helped and at least help you provide validation that you aren't alone in this. I'm sending you so much love and I hope the pain eases today, even if it returns tomorrow. 
This week in Dissecting Dysfunctional Conversations, we are going old school back to Gilmore Girls season one. If you've not watched Gilmore Girls, it centers around a mother-daughter relationship with Rory and Lorelai. Rory is the daughter and in this season she is in a relationship with a guy called Dean. And in this episode, she finds out that her boyfriend is building her a car. It's a relatively new relationship, but I mean, Rory is 16 years old, so a new relationship, but an important one. And they've been together for about three months. She thanks him for the car and then he says that he loves her. She pauses and then he asks if she heard him. And she stumbles and says she loves the car and he asks if that's it. And she said, no, but she's just surprised. She didn't expect it and she just needs to think about it for a minute. And he gets really angry that she didn't say it back. She says it's a big deal to her and she needs a minute and he responds with, this is not something you should have to think about. You either feel it or you don't. So I understand they're both 16, but this idea that someone doesn't love you just because they don't respond at the exact same time that you declare it, or even the fact that someone doesn't develop feelings at the same rate as you, is an important point. Rory explains that her feelings about love are confusing because of her parents and she's never said it to a boy before, but throughout this, Dean takes it all as a personal insult. Of course he is allowed to be upset, but just because someone doesn't say I love you in the exact moment you say it first doesn't mean they won't ever love you, but just that they're not ready yet. It's okay to develop feelings at a different rate. And I get this question a lot with people asking like, I've been dating someone for however long and is it normal that I don't feel ready to move in together? Is it normal that I don't feel ready to kiss them? Is it normal that I don't feel ready to um, sleep with them? Everyone moves at different stages and judging those feelings that you are having isn't going to make you move any faster and you can move at your own speed. A functional conversation would have allowed for people having different feelings at different rates and created a safe space for both of them to have a conversation about it. Rory's response of explaining herself was actually really functional, but because Dean went straight into anger, it blocked a moment that could have actually led to increased intimacy and connection. A functional conversation is one where you would say, I love you, with no expectation. When you say I love you, it should be a gift, and it shouldn't be requiring a response or a reciprocation. You are two separate human beings and you are allowed to feel differently. And just because someone develops feelings slower doesn't mean they are less important. Some people also do need to think about it. Some people need to process it. And some people will have difficulty communicating it because of their past, whether it's their upbringing or a past relationship. It's great to say I love you when you feel it, but the stereotype of being insulted if someone says thank you or goes silent is so unnecessary. So for example, if someone told me they loved me and I didn't feel it back, I wouldn't lie. I wouldn't say I love you just for the sake of it. Instead, I would just say, wow, thank you so much for telling me. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I love where this is going. And that just really made me smile. And that just really made me smile. I want to say it when I'm ready, but I'm not ready yet. And you might just have to be a little patient with me because I don't say those words very often, so if I said it, I want it to be real and I want it to be certain and I want to mean it. Have the hard conversation. It is always worth it. That spiel I just gave is so much better than lying and saying I love you just to avoid an argument. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, Michelle. So I have a question about losing weight for medical reasons. A little backstory. Um, I've always had very big breasts, even when I was a smaller size than I am now. They've always caused me back pain and it's gotten so bad that in this past year I've started to seriously consider breast reduction. So this past half year I've gone through the necessary steps to put in an application for the operation at my health insurance. But the result that I've gotten back now is that I should do physical therapy, which is fair enough. But also that I should lose weight as my beam eyes in the slightly B section before my health insurance would even consider covering the cost of the operation. My mom has since assured me that she'd be fine paying if I choose not to lose the weight. I am still in uni myself, so I don't have that kind of money. But I would feel bad about just letting her pay if technically there is another option. Basically, I'm not sure if I want to lose weight for money. Do you have any advice? Thanks, and all the best, Patricia. Hey, Patricia. This is such a tough situation, and I hate, hate, hate that insurance companies do this around weight. And if you actually look up the history of it, there is such a long and awful history. And if you actually look up the history around it, there's a relationship between BMI and insurance companies that I won't go into, but it gets really dodgy. And ultimately, I can't give you the answer. But what I can do is give you a few questions that will help you decide. If you were to lose the weight for the surgery, it would be a means to an end, right? But the question would be, at what cost? This answer will differ for every person. The other question I would ask is how much would it impact your mental health? How much weight do you have to lose? How much time do you have? Is it a realistic amount of weight? And is it possible for you? Would the time pressure make it better for you or worse for you? So are you a person who likes time pressure or will that make you feel overwhelmed? 
For me, for example, being told I need to lose weight for even a specific purpose would send me straight automatically into a dieting and restricting mindset. And I personally do not think I could lose weight without it being at a cost to my mental health. In which case, the cost to my mental health is greater than the surgery, especially because I would then factor in the cost of that mental health support I would need in order to recover my body image or bring my body image back to a place where it felt good again. So I would then factor in the cost of mental health support I would need in order to go through with that weight loss. If you don't think it would be a huge cost to your mental health, then that's your answer. I would remove the guilt around taking your mum's money though, because this guilt shouldn't be on you. It should be on the insurance company that they aren't paying for this surgery that is needed. And in general, the system always says that women's health issues are unnecessary or optional. But when it comes to men's issues, suddenly they manage to find the money and be able to cover it. Your mum is only needing to cover this because of the insurance company is not doing enough. Not because you are not doing enough by existing in your body. When you say technically, there is another option. I don't think that's true. It's also okay to realise that it isn't an option for you. It would be like saying to someone, oh, this pill would work for you, but that person is allergic to that pill. You wouldn't then say there is technically an option because whilst that pill is an option for other people and everyone else, you are allergic to it. So it's not an option to you. And whilst I don't have a yes or no answer for you, it's important we talk about this because especially within body positivity, there is this conversation about how we are anti-weight loss or anti-diets. And I think it's a lot more nuanced than that. I think within body positivity is the idea that everyone has body autonomy and it is your body so you can do what you like with it. There is also the conversation of being anti-diet culture or anti-intentional weight loss, but this is aimed at society. This is aimed at the systems within the society. It is aimed at a society that makes diets an everyday piece of our culture, a society that praises intentional weight loss, even if it isn't always healthy and a society that makes people lose weight to receive surgeries to remove back pain. But it's important to emphasise this is the system. It is not going after the individual. It is not going after the individual people who are going on diets or losing weight. So your question is a very real problem that exists within this society that has been created and that we live in. But that doesn't mean you are not body positive. You are body positive If you believe all bodies are good bodies, they all deserve respect and you advocate for everyone to have the same rights regardless of their appearance, ability, gender, sexual orientation or religion. So I just wanted to include your voice note as well to emphasise that there is enough shame in the world and if you are shaming someone or someone is shaming you in the name of body positivity, then you need to recognise there are people going through tough situations like yourself that there are no easy solutions or easy answers to. There is no right or wrong solution to your problem and whatever you decide is the right thing for you. So I hope it goes really well and I hope you manage to find a resolution and can make peace with your decisions soon. Sending you so much love. Today's three quick tips are on how to be more vocal within the body positivity movement. Number one, make sure your voice is intersectional. Advocate for all body types, abilities, genders and sexualities and race. You cannot pick and choose whose body deserves respect, representation and love. When we use the word diverse, we must make sure it's across all intersections and that we fight for things that don't affect us as much as the things that do affect us. 
Also, make your news feeds more intersectional. The white, thin, straight, able-bodied pages will be the most popular because they get the most opportunities and the most exposure. So search for different bodies, different appearances to make sure your newsfeed looks like the world around you. Number two, educate yourself on the health component. Read health at every size, stand up against fat phobia, especially if you are not fat yourself and know your facts so that you don't contribute to the as long as you're healthy portion of body positivity. Educate yourself in general, actually. There are so many great books on body positivity. My personal favourites and the ones I believe are most comprehensive are The Beauty Myth and Body Positive Power. Number three, start with the people in your own life. Too often there is a focus on online activism, but start with the people you know. I can tell you from my own life, me becoming vocal about body positivity meant so many other people in my life felt more comfortable in their own body and more open to talk about it. And maybe that was just me, but that's where we start. We gain confidence by seeing others doing the damn thing. Hi Michelle, my name's Kim. After years of yo-yo dieting and weight stigma, I'd finally got to a comfortable place in my body. Maybe I even loved it a bit. And then last year, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness. I'm in pain a lot of the time, which means that I can't work full time in the career that I'd like. I can't see my friends as much as I want to. And I put on a bit of weight, which means that most of my clothes don't fit and I can't afford a new wardrobe. I hate my body and I feel so angry about it. How can I build a relationship with my body again? Even if I don't love it, maybe we can be on neutral ground, especially when doctors are constantly telling me that weight loss will be the answer to all of my problems. Spoiler alert it's not thank you for everything that you do and i'm really loving the podcast oh i so know this journey i relate to you so much it is always the moment you actually think you might just love your body that the carpet is ripped out from under you and you go on a bit of a wild ride here's the thing you are going through an adjustment. It's a change and the change is always going to be harder than the result. So for example, a lot of people when they first break up think being single is awful, but I like to remind people being single isn't awful. Going through a breakup is awful. There is a difference and that is what you're going through. So similarly, existing in a body that is larger or in more pain isn't awful. Adjusting from a body that was smaller or was more able is the difficult part, which means it gets easier and I speak that from experience. I would actually specifically tell you to go watch my TED talk if you haven't. I know I mention it at the end of every podcast episode but in this case it's directly relevant to your issue because I actually explain how I started loving my body from a hospital bed and it was essentially me losing even more of my ability that made me realise that I took for granted the limited ability I already had and only really was grateful for it once it was taken away. The key to chronic illness and body image is to not turn the hate inwards. Your body is fighting for you and even though it is creating pain that is uncomfortable and unpleasant and annoying and frustrating and so many worse words I could use, it's doing it because the good cells are fighting the bad cells off. I kind of feel like I'm regurgitating my TED talk now, but you and your body are on the same team. You are both fighting the same fight. One thing that really helped me in that time in my life was something that is still one of my fundamental beliefs and it's that you are more than a body and the reason why this helped me is it was kind of liberating to stop caring about my appearance entirely for the first time in my life and that happened to me when I was in my hospitalisation when I was 19 years old. 
It was the first time in my life I actually found I cared so much more about what my body could do, even if it was limited and not as capable as others. It still could do so much. And I started focusing on what it could do rather than what it couldn't do. Essentially, when I lost perspective of all the things it could do in the past while I was bedridden, I weirdly became more grateful that at least all I was was bedridden. Like I was still breathing, I could turn my head. No, I couldn't shower myself, but I could feed myself. And focusing on those things did help. So how you start building up that relationship is every night, three things that you're grateful to your body for. Three ways your body impressed you today. Three things why you respect your body. Focus on respect. That is going to be a lot easier and a lot more tangible than body love or body confidence. And as I said before, the final thing I would say is that I became more content with my body the less time I spent thinking about it. So no, you might not be able to see your friends or have the career you want, but find a passion project or something that gets you excited to get out of bed. For me, because this happened when I was 15, I discovered I love being a boss, which is such a weird thing to say. Like, I love being in charge. And so when I was in charge, eventually, of a lower year's play and the whole school charity and then a business that we started in my final year, my sixth form, I spent my entire day thinking about that and not my body. The thing with body confidence or even just having a good relationship with your body is that you don't spend much time looking in the mirror. I can leave the house without looking like I can leave the house looking like a mess and don't really care what people will think of me or judge me. I can go to a meeting with glasses and unbrushed hair. And even more brilliantly for you, you know what that feels like. And it is so much easier to go back to a place of body acceptance that you once had because you now know what it feels like. So for example, when I first started working out without diet culture and without this idea of weight loss, I started loving it and actually becoming fit for the first time in my life. And I remember the first time I ran for 20 minutes straight and I was so amazed with myself. And I came off the treadmill with this euphoric high being like, I wish people knew how fun exercise was. Very shortly after that, I got shin splints and that injury meant I had to stop running and that was the main form of exercise I was doing. So when I finally healed from shin splints, I had to start running again and my fitness was not where it used to be. I had to start, not from the beginning, but I had to start a lot lower down, very close to the beginning. But working up my fitness again, returning it to where it used to be, was a lot easier because I knew what the end goal looked like. Going back to working out after an injury is painful and hard work, but I could imagine what it felt like being on that run and I could almost chase that feeling. You are doing the exact same thing right now, but we are going to use it to our advantage. So every morning before looking in the mirror, I want you to remember a time in your life when you loved your body. Go back to a specific memory and really look into that memory. Not intellectually, not from your mind, but in your body. I want you to feel how you're feeling. I want to remember what you were thinking. What were you saying to yourself? How were you standing? Spend a full five minutes getting into that feeling until you literally feel it in every cell of your body. And then go about your day, which means the first time you end up looking in the mirror, whether that's when you're brushing your teeth or doing your hair or whatever, you will already have that past memory of you loving your appearance running through you. And when I say that, I mean running neurologically through you. Because here's the thing, we are very good at using bad memories from the past to make us feel miserable and feel a feeling from that past, even if the person isn't even in the bloody room. But we do not do the opposite with positive things. 
So the same reason you can feel sad about your ex-best friend even though they're not in the room is the same reason you can love your body because three months ago you loved your body. You can use that memory to jog your mind and when that's running neurologically in your mind, funnily enough, more memories of you loving your body will appear and also more positive thoughts of your body will appear too because it's all connected. Make a promise to yourself to do this every day for a week and just see, experiment, have a playful mindset around it, a curious mindset. Just see for a week how it impacts you. See the difference, note down the difference. I already know it works like a charm, but prove it to yourself. Have a play with it, experiment with it. See if you can really tap into feeling that feeling or feeling that memory in your whole body in every single cell. Good luck and enjoy the process. It's fun to live in a positive daydream first thing in the morning. I highly recommend it. The thing I am working on at the moment is being kind to to myself about this bloody podcast. Last season, I made the really stupid decision to ask for feedback about five episodes into the podcast. And if I'm being really honest, it made it really hard to finish season one because all I heard was this criticism in my head and negativity in my head. And I know so many of you didn't mean it that way, but I was not in the mindset to receive feedback at that point. And so my brain did a number with it, basically. Of course, there were nice comments, but all I heard was the negative stuff. And the funny thing is, most of it contradicted each other. Like one person would say it's too long. One person would say it was too short. So in between season one and two, I've been making an active effort to listen to more podcasts because like anything in order to be a good writer you need to read in order to be a good chef you need to eat (laughs) I don't know if that last one works but in order to be a good therapist you need to have experienced therapy I've been listening to a few and I've been loving Brene Brown's podcast I already love her books but I love her podcast as well and her first episode talks about FFTs fucking first times This podcast was my fucking first time. And yes, I'm on to season two now, but it's still been less than a year. And I think if you listen to this episode or you listen to the first episode of season one, you can see I've improved, but it does take time. And you need to let yourself have that time and accept that the first time you do anything is not going to be your best. I mean, go back to my first YouTube channel, go back to my first TikTok, my first Instagram post. So other people can criticise, but I can guarantee any person complaining doesn't have a podcast because trust me, I did not know how much work a podcast was until I had one myself. Also, I said this earlier, but if you want a big studio production, there are so many celebrity podcasts that provide that for you, but this is not it. This is a one woman team and this one woman is doing the best she can by herself. And that's it for the episode. Thank you so much for the questions. I really appreciate everyone who's taken the time and energy to send a voice note in. I love how diverse and interesting they are. It always makes me so happy to go into my in all honesty mailbox. So if you'd like to be one of the people sending me a voice note and joining in on one of the episodes, then send me an email at inallhonesty at mindsetforlife.co.uk. If you didn't catch that, the email address will be in the description below. And in the meantime, you can find me on Scar Not Scared on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. You can get my book, The Joy of Being Selfish, my first book, 
Am I ugly? You can watch my TED talk online, as I mentioned earlier. Have you hated your body enough today? And I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. The next episode is actually about slowing down, which I think is something we are all experiencing in this pandemic. So fingers crossed I can give you some useful advice. And if that interests you, then tune in next Wednesday. And thank you so much all for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 